once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. A child on a swing will continue swinging as long as there's something adding energy to each swing. Without that energy, the swing will stop swinging. Our relationship with God, individually and collectively, needs pushing as well, or we'll forget his works and stop swinging. Teaching team member David McNeely starts the series Echoes with this message entitled Suppression, which covers Psalm 145, verses 1 through 9. Thank you for joining us today. My name is David McNeely. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and uh, for 21 years I was in youth ministry. Uh, some, most of those have been right here uh, at Perimeter from 94 to 98, left and went away for five years to North Carolina. Wonderful experience that my wife and I look back on. I just thank God for those years. It was just a, um, a great time uh, for us. But we came back in 2003. Our twins at that point were six months old. And then the Lord has brought four more children into our home. And so I've got six boys. And so my job went from being a youth pastor for a church to being a youth pastor in my own home now is what in essence has happened. And uh, I've noticed over the years uh, that those families who made an intentional effort into their children, please hear me, not a perfect effort, that made an intentional effort into their children to pass down faith to them, that made my job so much easier most of the time. I don't know where you are today. I don't know where, what phase of life you are in. I don't know if your children have yet to come into your home and you're prayerfully, you're laboring in prayer right now, asking, begging God that he would bring children into your home or whether those kids are in the same stage as mine are and that is you are just trying to stay alive at this moment, that your kids don't die in the process, they don't kill one another in the process, that you're just hanging on and you're just trying to get across to them that God is real and that the Bible is a book that you should look into. That's about as far as it goes right now. The kids may be a little bit older, and you're able to talk to them about what it is that uh, you have learned from this, this day in which you opened up the Scriptures and talked and to the Lord and listened to Him. Your kids may be out of the house, and you've moved more into an advisory role where you can discuss what's going on in their pilgrimage and what's going on in yours. You may have grandchildren. You may have grandchildren that you're praying for now that as you watch that cycle happen over again, you're just saying, oh, Lord, would you pass down to them something that I failed to pass down to my kids? Here's going to be the temptation today and next week that you're going to have the temptation to only think about parents with children. And that is not where we're going. It's a part of where we're going. But where we're going today is this. And, to, and next week, God has called this generation to declare his greatness to this generation, who will in turn declare his greatness to this generation. And it's a cycle that will continue on and on and on. What we are called to do is to echo the greatness of God to all who would come behind us. Are you doing that? Do you look at your life and you say, I am screaming, just as we sang about earlier, I am screaming of the greatness of God. Perfectly, no. But regularly, yes. Or do you feel a, more, a little more silent? You want to leave that to the professionals, those who are paid to get up on a stage and to talk about what it is that God does and who he is and 
talk about the Hebrew and the Greek, things that at the end of the day are not nearly as important as you passing it on to someone who is behind you. The series is called Echoes. I did not know uh, what an echo, uh, how to give you a formal definition. I think we all know intuitively what an echo is, but I had to go into a science journal, did not even know this thing existed. So I began to uh, study for this. So the American Heritage Science Dictionary says, an echo is a repeated sound that is caused by the reflection of sound waves from a surface. It's a repeated sound. And it's caused by a reflection that bounces off of one surface and it comes back here. Now, sometimes that can happen over and over and over and over and over again, depending upon the acoustics of the room. That echo can just continue on until finally it loses its energy and then it dies. Sometimes that problem can be solved, though, by fixing the room. Fixing the room so that this echo problem doesn't happen anymore. Right here in our own main auditorium, we have a, uh, an echo problem. If you sit somewhere up close to the front, you get a chance to hear it. We have done some things to try to take care of the sound. We put some things on the back. We've got some curtains up. We put some other things that hopefully will absorb the sound. Your skin is one of the greatest ways to absorb the sound that will prevent the echo. But technology is great. Technology says, you know, we can stop an echo, but we can also intentionally cause an echo to happen. So this is what an echo sounds like when it's manipulated. Right here. And this is what we are called to. We are called to echo so that this one will hear it, and this one will hear it, and this one will hear it, and this one will hear it. Now, that's true in a literal sense, but I think we all know I'm, I'm talking more in a, in a different way about an echo. Giuseppe Mazzini said this. Music is the harmonious voice of creation, an echo of the invisible world. Is that not true? Is that not true that even on this stage, while, while the choir was belting it out, there were moments that I wanted to join in with them and sing, and there were moments and I just wanted to step back and be sung to and, and listened to. I just heard an echo of eternity, just God pouring out something great. The choir just sang it. Music has that ability to search into our souls, does it not? Oliver Wendell Holmes said this, the sound of a kiss is not so loud as that of a cannon, but its echo lasts a great deal longer. Mother Teresa, along the same line, said this, kind words are short and easy to speak, but their echoes are truly endless. And then Fred Allen, a comedian of old, said this, all that the comedian has to show for his years of work and aggravation is the echo of forgotten laughter. If you've ever had the opportunity to sit and listen to some old athletes share stories, all they're doing is echoing the, the cheers and the applause of the days of old. Maybe some old musicians will do that or some old actors will do that. Those who once had a great deal of fame will think back into their minds as to what it was like when they heard the cheers of the crowd. It's just an echo now, but it lingers in the soul. This is what God is calling us to do, is to echo in such a manner that it lingers into the soul. Now, what does he want us to echo? I want to make this very, 
very simple for us. Don't overcomplicate the faith. Don't make it such that we're trying to get the, the folks that we are leading who are coming behind us, don't make it such that we're trying to echo everything that we have. Make it very, very simple and just echo this. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Psalm 145. Now, Psalm 145 is the last psalm of David. It is uh, likely the last psalm that he wrote, and he is near the end of his life. Just a couple of interesting pieces of trivia about this psalm is that this is the only psalm in all of the psalms that actually says it is a psalm of, a song of praise. It's the only one that gives itself that, that, that description. Now, all of them are songs of praise, but it's the only one that points it out. It's the last of what's called the acrostic psalms. Psalm 119 would be an example of that in which the psalm, it would start out a verse and it would work its way through the entire Hebrew alphabet and it would just declare God is this, he is this, he is this. It would go all the way through in what is their equivalent of our A to Z. David, towards the end of his life, now I'm going to point out a couple of things as we go along, but just listen as we read. I will extol you, my God and my King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. Now, we won't read the whole thing. We're going to read just the first nine verses of this. And I'll spend a little bit of time this week talking about it and a little bit of time next week talking about it. But just a couple of things to point out. David is intentional about declaring the praise of God. He says, I will extol. He doesn't say, I will wait for the Spirit to move me, and then once I am moved and properly motivated, then I will declare your praises. I won't wait until I get into the Sunday morning service when the music gets really good, and then I will sing about you. He says, I will extol. Who? I will extol you, my God and King. Now let that thought linger in your mind. He is saying that, God, you are the rightful king. I'm not the rightful king. Sure, I have an earthly throne. But the only reason I have a throne is because you gave it to me. So I will extol you. He says, every day I will praise you and praise your name forever and ever. He doesn't say that I'm just going to do it once. He says I'm going to do it every single day. I will keep coming back. I will do it forever and ever. We know in the ultimate sense, when we are finally called into glory, Jesus returns once again. The skies rip open. He takes his children to be with him. And then we enter into this eternal nature in which we don't sin at all. We know that it will come natural to us to be able to extol the name of God and to praise his name forever and ever. But what he says right here is this, every day I'll do it. Why? Because great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. In fact, his greatness is unsearchable. Now, I know there would be many of us in this room right now that would say, hey, if I was in the same kind of mood that David was, I would sure do that as well. After all, he has a kingdom. God has blessed him greatly. His life is going really swell. So if I had that, it would also be easy and natural for me to praise him. 
What does it look like when you don't have a life that you think is easy to praise God? Just one example. We talked about parenting earlier. I know there are many parents here today. Your kids have left the nest and you are wondering if they will ever follow the Lord. And it is difficult to praise God when your children, your, your most prized, not possessions in the sense that you own them, but you know what I mean, your, your most cherished possessions on earth, that you, God, would you draw them? And he's tarrying. What about when your children are not healthy or when a parent is not healthy or a sibling is not healthy? Someone near and dear to you is literally wasting away before your very eyes. Praise God then. I had such a privilege just a few nights ago to listen to a man whose daughter um, is battling with cancer right now and, and we don't know what the outcome will be. And fresh out of his mouth as he shared with several hundred people that gathered to, to say, we love you, we support you, we want to help you in this process. And, and he shared that the news was not what he had hoped for. And then he said this, I want to pray. And he prayed, he raised his hands and he says, God, I choose to praise you. How does he do that? Because the same spirit who is inside of David is inside of him. And he says, I will extol you. Verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on the wondrous works, I will meditate and they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. And I will declare your greatness, and they shall pour forth the frame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. One generation shall commend your works to the next. Again, please don't get caught in the trap that he is only referring here to parents who would pass this on to their children. Yes, he is including them in this. He is not limiting it to parents, though. Early in my ministry days, I was a, a volunteer in a youth ministry in Montgomery, Alabama. A man who was a youth pastor here for many years, Matt Brinkley, was there at that time. He asked me to come in as a volunteer. He said, David, I would, I've seen what's been happening in your life, and I would like for you to consider discipling a group of guys. I said, man, that sounds awesome. I have no idea what you mean by that, but that sounds really good. He said, don't worry. I'll, I'll teach you what that means. I'll train you. And so I had a group of guys that was given to me. Now, a couple of those guys from that very first group that I have have now planted churches. It's really cool. It's really to watch what's uh, great, to watch what's happened in their, uh, in their lives. Now, before you get too impressed, though, you need to know this. Two of them have completely walked away from the faith. And I rejoice greatly over those that have planted churches, those that are in ministry now. God has um, seen fit to put some guys in my group that he was calling into ministry. I think he did that knowing that they would get an inside view and look at what ministry is like and, and, and the, the pluses and the minuses, the challenges and the, and the joys that are in there. And 
And so I rejoice with all of those guys that, have, that are still involved in ministry, and I'm, yet I'm telling you, um, there's not a week that goes by that I don't think about these two guys. Not a single week. And I still have not given up praying for them. Here's the point. You may say something now, and the echo of that may not come about right now. It may not come about until years later. My mentor, Matt Brinkley, would say this. It's an analogy I've used many, many times over the years, but he would say it's a difference between oaks and poplars. Poplar trees are very popular, no pun intended, there to get put into new homes because you put them in and they grow up really, really quickly and they provide you some nice-looking shade. But what happens with those trees is because they grow up so quick, they are susceptible to disease, and oftentimes disease gets in and they rot and they die. They don't make it over the long haul. But they sure do look good springing up really quickly. Oak trees are on the opposite end of the spectrum. You barely notice the growth year after year after year. You, you, you keep coming back. Is it growing? I don't see it. But yet you go 20 years down the road, 30 years down the road, 40 years down the road, and you see this big, strong, sturdy, healthy tree. Those things don't get a whole lot of disease in them. Frank would say this, guys, we are in the business of planting oak trees, not poplars. That's what youth ministry is. That's what parenting is. That's what one generation declaring the greatness of God is to the next. So I'm not trying to raise godly 12-year-olds right now in my home. I would love that. I would love it if my twins tomorrow would, would come to me and to Judith and just say, Mom, Dad, I'm so sorry for all the sins that we have committed against you and against the Lord. And what we long to do is to serve the Lord by serving you. So how can I obey? I would love that. But that's not why we adopted. We adopted because we have a vision that a 28-year-old will declare the greatness of God to his wife and to his children. And that may not show up until many years later. One generation shall declare to the next who shall declare to the next. Of all of his splendor, of all of his works, of all of his character, of all of his deeds, of all of his acts of righteousness, of all of his greatness, they shall declare it should be on their lips constantly. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Why? Why do we tell the next generation about it? Because he is so good. The idea in this passage is not just that we would talk about his acts that are true in this word. Yes, I want to open this word up to my children. I want to read it with them. I want to talk about it with them. I want to meditate on it with them. I want them to memorize it along with me. Yes, it's true. I want them to see this, but it's also true. What this passage is calling us to is not just to declare this alone, but how this thing has shown itself in my life today. How has he been faithful to you this week? How have you seen him show up? Has he provided money when you needed it? Has he provided friendships when you needed it? 
Has he provided insight and wisdom when you needed it? Whatever it is that he has done, declare that. Yes, here, declare what he's done today so that you can add to this. What you add won't be on par with this. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that our words will be infallible. This is his word. We want to give them his word, and I also want to give them my word. I want you to know uh, we're about to look at a passage that's going to be uh, very difficult to swallow. And it's going to come from uh, the book of Judges. We'll set it up by looking at Joshua. But um, I, I want to say this even before we get to it. What we're about to look at is the failure of one generation echoing to another. It is in, in a sense that an echo has been suppressed. And the tendency for us is going to be to hone in only on our failure to do this. So, so please hear me. I'm going to say it now and I'm going to say it again abundantly clear at the end. Even if you are not faithful, God will be faithful. So our hope does not lie in our ability to pass it down to the next generation. Our hope lies in a God who set this system up that one generation will listen to the other one while the other one is talking. Our hope is not in our ability to speak and it's not in their ability to listen. Our hope is in the God who makes this happen. So what does it look like to fail at this endeavor? Every Bible is open with me to the last chapter of Joshua. Now God has taken his people out of the land of slavery in Egypt, and he has taken them miraculously out through his servant Moses. And they had the opportunity to walk into the promised land, the land that God said, I will give it to you. I will go before you. I will fight on your behalf. He did some miraculous things. They, they chose not to linger on that. They chose instead to linger at what was in front of them, the enemy. And so when they came back, um, God was, was angry at their unfaithfulness. And so they wandered around for several years, and everyone in that generation died. But there was Joshua and Caleb from that day, um, from that generation, and, and they were the ones that looked and saw and said, no, no, let's go. Let's not trust in circumstances. Let's trust in God. And so God said, Joshua, I'm going to take you, and I want you to move through and march in. And so they go in, they march in, and Joshua says, let's conquer them. Be faithful to take in the land. And it says that Joshua gets old and he's coming to the end of his life. And he wants to remind the people of something. He wants to remind them just simply to listen to the Lord. Joshua chapter 24, begin reading in verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. And put away the gods that your forefathers, uh, that your fathers served before, I'm sorry, beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. Joshua says, choose 
Quit straddling the fence and choose what it is that you're going to do. Don't play church. Get busy with what you want to do. And if you don't want to follow the Lord, then don't follow him. But as for me and my house, we will. Now, what Joshua is not saying is that I guarantee you my children will absolutely follow with the Lord. There's no question about it because I'm that good of a disciple maker. What he's saying is this. We will be faithful to put before them where they should go. We will show them the way. I assure you that in our household, Joshua would say, we will point them to Jesus. And all the people said, no, no, no way we're going to leave him. It is God who did this. And that whole generation is declaring the greatness of God. They're saying, it's him who brought us out of here. And so, yeah, we will follow him. Go to Judges chapter 2. In Judges chapter 1, what it tells us is this, is that as they continued to move forward, they were not faithful to completely drive out. They were not faithful to obey the Lord completely. God said, drive them out of the land. I do not want other gods mixed in with me. And so drive them out. And then it tells us that they didn't drive them out. So the angel of the Lord shows up. Begin reading in verse 1. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and they wept. And they called the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. Because you did not listen to me, because you did not do what I asked you to do, you did not trust me in this process because you have taken on the other gods because you have begun to worship worthless idols i will not drive out your enemies before you and what will happen is they will be a snare to you for many many years and it says that the people wept is this true repentance some theologians say yes some say no i tend to lean towards the no i tend to think what they're upset about was they weren't going to get the blessing of God. They weren't grieved over their sin. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in some place in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation were also gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. This is, in my opinion, one of the three or four 
saddest sections in all of the scriptures. Another one is when Saul lost the Holy Spirit and he did not even realize the king coming after this later in the time. He didn't even realize that the Holy Spirit had departed from him. It's so sad to me. This is another one of those passages that is just so sad where God did great and mighty things amongst this generation and yet the generation that comes up right behind them doesn't even know about him. How is that possible? On the one hand, it's the failure of the generation that is older. It's the failure to pass it down to them. It's the failure of them to continually recite what it is that the Lord has done for them on the grand scale, and it's their failure to recite for them what the Lord has done on the small scale. What has he done for them as a people, and what has he done for them individually? On one hand, it's their fault. On the other hand, it's the fault of the generation who is younger because they did not listen. I I mean, I know that you guys think that this whole Yahweh thing, I, I know that you think that there is this God who is there, and maybe there is some sort of a divine being, but he's just one of many because we have evidence of there being lots of gods out there who do lots of blessing. And so we'll take a little bit of your God And we'll mix them in with all of these gods and we'll create our gods made in our image. Sounds really different from today's day and age, doesn't it? It's the failure of this generation to say, no, that's wrong. And it's the failure of this generation to say, what? Where are you right now? Where are you in life? Are you in your mid-40s? If you are in your mid-40s, let me encourage you, listen to the generation before you. Even in preparation for this series, there's a dear man who's here in our church. He is a Hebrew scholar. He taught it for 30 years. I meet with him whenever it is that I want to. He just makes himself available to me. I say, tell me about this passage. Tell me if I'm on the right track. Is this true? Is this not true? And he speaks in that old E.F. Hutton commercial. When he speaks, I listen. Are you listening to those who have gone before you if you're in your 40s? I never thought, ever, ever, I never thought that I would listen as much to my mom and dad as I am now. Because I call them pretty regularly and say, hey, uh, you know, just hypothetically speaking, uh, if a child were to break something in my house intentionally, how would you have dealt with that? And they can go back to any one of seven stories, of course, that actually happened. And they could say, you know, David, here's, here's the thing. What, what do you see in his heart when you say this or ask this? What do you, what do you notice? And I listen to their counsel. It's so wise. It's, a, my, it's amazing how wise my parents got a couple years ago. I also want to be speaking into the next generation, though. My two favorite groups, I've said this many times, but two of my favorite groups to talk to here at Perimeter, one is the victors. I don't know how old they actually are. Many of them won't tell me. Let's just say that they're not spring chicks, but when you walk into that room and you get a chance just to be with them, 
um, and just sit and just listen. There's wisdom. And they're careful to recall the faithfulness of God, not just when they were 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 and 60, whatever, but today. My other favorite group is to be with high school students. I don't think it will ever leave my system. I think I will be 65 years old and still longing for people to ask, just let me come and speak to high school students. One of the things I love about high school students is by and large, they listen. I know they don't listen to you, mom and dad. (laughs) By and large, they really do listen. They really do try to put into practice what others are telling them. Verse 11, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were with them, and they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. And whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them and they were in terrible distress. They go out marching, believing that the power is within them, believing the ingenuity is within them, believing that they are the ones who are finally advancing in this old, archaic world that actually believes in one God. And the hand of the Lord was against them. And they got their rear ends handed to them. And God was doing this because he is kind, he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. He did not pour on his full wrath upon them. He brought judgment upon them so that they would cry out to him. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of those who plundered them. Yet, they did not listen to their judges For they whored after other gods and bowed down to them, and they soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. And whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died... They turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers. Going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them, they did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. It says that as long as the Lord was with the judge, he was blessing and honoring the people. God would raise up one particular judge to come and to rescue the people. And when they followed the judge, they experienced blessing. But that judge was only temporal. They didn't have an eternal judge. They didn't have a righteous king who could lead them on for all of eternity. And so whenever that king, or that judge rather, went by the side, they got even worse. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, because this people have transgressed my covenant, that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them. 
whether they will take care to walk in the way of their Lord as the fathers did or not. And so the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of the Lord, into the hand of Joshua. The Lord gave them a test. He wanted, to, he wanted them to turn back to him. He's patient. He is waiting. The story of Judges is the sad story of, and this is just an intro to the rest of the book. The rest of the book, beginning in chapter 3, verse 6, will then give to you the story of what he has just given here. He's given a gross summary of what happens. And so rather than going through the whole book, we just gave the summary. The people would fall into apostasy. They would worship worthless idols. They would chase after other things they thought satisfaction would come in, and God would bring judgment upon them. And when that judgment became so bitter to them, when they became at the end of themselves, they cried out before the Lord, and they reached out to him, and God sent a judge who was raised up, and he would rescue them. And as soon as they got fat, dumb, and happy again, they left the Lord. And it happens six times in the book of Judges. So let me close just by giving you a, a brief point of application, and then, um, and then I want to call you to just one final word. Points of application. Here's how it is that we can suppress the greatness of God. How it is that we can stop that echo from going uh, on. Uh, this is the normal means by which uh, we would do that. Number one, do not listen to generations before you. So if you want to be as foolish as you possibly can, do not listen to those who have gone before you, who have walked with the Lord. Say that they're out of touch. Say that they're too old. Say that they don't understand what's happening in today's day and age. Just don't listen to them. Ignore them. It's a great way to stop the echo of God. But secondly, don't talk to generations that are behind you. Just throw in the towel and talk about how bad things are today's day and age and how good they were back then and, and just give up on them. Don't make any investment whatsoever in those that would come behind you. And it's a great way to suppress the echo that God has called us to give. Don't do those two things. And one thing for sure that you, you should do if you want to suppress it is to get distracted with many worthless idols. Fill your life up with distractions. And don't leave any room for you to think and ponder about what it is that the Lord is doing, about how it is that he has shown up. Don't give yourself any time at all, and you'll find great success in suppressing the echo of God. Last word. You may be a part of a faithless generation. You may be part of a godless generation. You may be slack. You may have abandoned your duty that God has called you to to declare the greatness of him to the next generation. And I want you to know that the Lord is still faithful and he can still raise up an entire generation or any individual in spite of you, in spite of me. The normal means by which he does is he does take that through families. He takes that through those that have gone before us to pass. That's the normal means by which he does it, but he doesn't have to use us in the process. So today, if you have a child or a dear friend as I do, that do not walk with the Lord, that are not echoing the greatness of God, 
Keep praying. Because the Lord can reach in at any time and use any person, use any circumstance, use anything he wants to raise them up, to speak into their hearts, to replace the heart of stone with the heart of flesh. And he can create a God lover out of someone who is a God hater right now. So your trust is not in your system. Your trust is in God. Great is his faithfulness. Jesus is the best judge, is he not? God sent temporary judges to raise up and and to rescue the people. And it could only happen for a brief period of time because they could not do what it is that only God himself could do. I really believe this in every fiber of my being that Jesus was the angel who showed up on the scene earlier. I really believe it was Jesus who was the one that was the better judge that was to come. He was the one that rescued the people eternally. And he is the king who David spoke about in Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God, my king. He is the king who sits on his throne. And as long as we look to him, we got a lot to praise. So look to Jesus. He will rescue. He will provide. Heavenly Father, thank you for what it is that you have done today. Father, thank you for what it is that you did yesterday and the day before and the day before. You spoke in the garden. You continued to speak. You had Moses write it down. You had plenty of others write it down for us that we might know for sure what it is that you have said. And so, God, all we're asking for now is just grace and mercy that you would pour out on us that we might echo what it is that you have already said. God, forgive us for not doing it intentionally. Forgive us for uh, our slack in it, but, Lord, empower us moving forward from today on. I pray that you would give us the strength and the ability to do what it is that you've called us to do. So thanks for giving us Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Pray this all in his name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.